Was that this wonderful? Come on, you need to do better than this. Come on. Uh, my name is Pastor James Destiny. I'm happy to be here. Um, I've been here before on a Wednesday night. I've preached, and I've preached last night, uh, la- and then this morning, and again today. Uh, I was, before, I, before I came up here, I was looking to see if I see my family in the, in the building. But I, oh, they're in the back. My wife is in the back. Um, with, with, her, with my sister-in-law and my children is at um, Children Church. They promised me they would ditch no, um, no service today and come, come here. So they kept their words. Yeah. So I'm happy for that. Um, well, as I said, Pastor says um, I am a missionary to Haiti. Um, but before that, I used to be a choir director at the age of 16 in church and then move on to be worship leader after that. Um, youth director, youth pastor for a while, church planter, and so on and so on. But when I used to be a choir director, there is um, a song that we used to sing in church, and we used to say, we are soldiers in the army. Uh, we have to hold on the banner until we die, the gospel banner until we die. Never quite understood that song until now, until I was called to Haiti, um, because being a soldier means you have no choice. Do you get that? Yeah. Being a soldier means you have no choice. It means you go as the army please. I know, I know a lot of soldiers right now would love to be post in, 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 in Hawaii, right. in the Virgin Island. But many of them are in Afghanistan fighting today. They don't have a choice. Where they send them, that's where they go. And that's what it is with God, and that's what it is with the army of God. You know, uh, right now, I probably would love to be in Massachusetts, pastor one of the biggest churches in Massachusetts, but that's not what God wants. God wants me in Haiti. Uh, not too long, not, but um, maybe six, eight years ago, God called me after I graduated. Um, God called me to go to seminary. Went to seminary, fight with God for a while, but I figured out my hand was too short to box with him. Because every time I told a job, it never reached. So I decided that I would go to seminary. So I went to seminary. But before that, before I went to seminary, I said to God, well, you know they don't pay pastors. Um, I have a wife and children. I want to be well off. Uh, I don't want to go to seminaries. But as I said, my hands was too short to box with God. So finally grabbed me and laid me at Gordon, bring me to Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. Right after that, I went to look for a job at the Department of Public Health. But the job said, I mean, the, the information was there that you had to have a master's in public health. So I went to the first, I have a master's in divinity. Um, I went to the first interview. They called me for a second interview. I was a little bit perplexed why they called me to a second interview when it says they were not even to accept my application to be for the first interview because it says clearly you got to have a master's in public health. Um, so they called me for a second interview. After the second interview, they called me for a third interview. Then me, as fresh as I am, sitting at the other side of the table, I asked one of the ladies there, uh, it clearly said you got to have a master's in public health. Why in the world would you guys call me for a third interview? They said, well, I look at your resume and see that you have a master's in divinity, and we need somebody like you here. And that's when I felt God slap me in my face. And says, don't I say, I'll make you? Because 
that job was twice the, what I was making before I went to seminary. And then I was telling God that, you know, they don't pay to be a pastor. And right after that, I was called by the seminary to teach. That school, you have to spend at least 10 to 12 years teaching somewhere else before you can ever have a chance to be an adjunct professor there. And I was called to teach Greek and Hebrew at that school about a year or so after I graduated. Not too long after that, I was called by a Haitian church to, to, to pastor their, their English-speaking church because they had a lot of great young adults that did not understand Creole too well, and they thought they did not want to lose these members, so they thought that would be the best thing to start an English church. So I had a great job. I was teaching at the school, and I had another great, wonderful job being a pastor, getting paid in all three places, plus my wife um, working. So we were well off um, making some good money uh, if, if, if we stayed there. But God, and right after that, God blessed us with a wonderful home. When we moved in that house, our next door neighbor was Ellis Habs from the Patriot. Not just Ellis Habs, we had one other player from the, from the Revolution, and then the, the goalkeeper for the, for the um, U.S. team lived in the neighborhood. The youth from the church used to love to come to my house just to be in the window watching Ellis Habs washing the many of his cars. And they used to say, man, Pastor James, you live next to Ellis Hobbs. I said, no, Ellis Hobbs lived next to me. I work for God, he works for the Patriots. I have a better job. But soon after that, God called me. He wants me to leave all this thing and follow him to Haiti. Like I said, you're a soldier in the army. You have no choice. I'd love to be Paul St. Franklin in my wonderful home with my wonderful wife and my four children. But God calls me to Haiti. I, by the way, I was born in Haiti, but I left Haiti when I was very young. My wife was younger when she left Haiti. So my wife didn't even know how to speak English Creole very well <laughs> when, when we met. Now she's, she's teaching me now. You know, sometimes I need to say something. She gives me the exact word needs to be said, but you know what? God called me to Haiti. I was doing well at that school. A lot of students loved the way I teach, but when I got to Haiti started teaching, I felt that, that stu those students have a hundred more teachers like me, but I, I will be, be better served in Haiti. The same way as pastoring in Haiti, I felt that God will definitely be able to use me in Haiti. And one thing that I was looking for, I wanted a place for my children and my wife to attend church, because the church we're pastoring is all the way in, Mass in Boston, and we all the way in Franklin. So it was really hard with the four children for her to get them ready and then go to church. So I was looking for a church a bit nearby for them to go, and I, I left them home, and I went to Norwood Church. Mind you, we lived in Walpole at the preserve on Foot One for a while, um, but, we, but we never went to Norwood Church. We never had any interest never went there. We heard about it. Um, as a matter of fact, I invited one of the football players because I used to be a co-director of a huge um, youth congress we did for, for the Haitian community, Haitian American community, and he said he used to go there, but I had no interest of going there. But I was looking for a church for my family to attend when I'm in Haiti, somewhere that I could be really satisfied with. 
And then I went to that church. About two weeks going there, Pastor Kaiser walked walk up to me and say, hey, how you doing? I said, I'm fine. We started talking, and I said, well, you know, I'm a missionary to Haiti, and I go back and forth to Haiti. I'm looking for a place for my family to attend. And he says, well, this is the place. Um, so we started talking. We grabbed a cup of coffee. We talked some more. He invited me to preach, and he says, wow, we would love to pick you up as our missionary to Haiti. And he invited Pastor Tim and Shane, and we sat down a little bit more. We got to talk. Um, and I told you, I just came back from Haiti this Friday, um, and I went to do a lot in two weeks, did a lot in Haiti. I ran a, a, a retreat for young Haitian professionals. Why? Because a lot of the young Haitian professionals are always leaving the country for the United States and Canada and France. So when you have the cream of the crop leaving the country, you're starting all over again, and I want to persuade them to stay in their country. So for the past four years been doing that, I think I've been quite successful because there's only a small percentage that are in the United States right now. Even some of them that were here during the time they could have get, gotten the temporary status after the earthquake, they went back home because that word is getting to them. Not only that, there's a small church that I visited about three years ago in Hensh, Haiti. They were, they were um, worshiping under a little tent they made by themselves, and when it rained, church is over. So I decided we will build a church. With little of the money that I had, we started. So the foundation is laid. So now we're getting ready to put the walls and cover that up. And I promised them by the first, I, I promised them by the first of January, 2013, the first Sunday there. And they believe in me, but I believe in God. I don't know what that, how that's going to happen, but I know it will happen. And then I head to Jacques Mel Haiti where I usually held um, um, conference for pastors, teaching them. Um, uh, that's my second one I've done for them. The last one I did for them was on how to preach the gospel for all it's worth. Um, and the second one I did for them is how to teach the Bible for all it's worth. And uh, we had a wonderful time there. On Sunday morning, they brought me somewhere to preach the gospel. Listen to this. We drove for two hours. Pastor told me service is going to start at 10, but we have to leave the house at, at 6. <laughs> so I, I should have understood what he meant by that. So we drove the car for two hours and then stopped and take a motorcycle for about 45 minutes and then walk the rest of the way because it takes, the road is not that great to go and preach there. When I went there, the church is in the highest peak in the mountain. It was wonderful to see that God is really reaching out people everywhere. So I was able to preach there and had a great and wonderful time. And I thank my wife because I'm here today because when I came back, um, I ate something. I don't know if it's in the airplane or if it's the last thing I ate in Haiti, but that did not go well with me. And I caught a cold as well. And she's been keeping me, you know, all last night was terrible. So she's been giving me, she's been doctor wife. You know, and, and she's been wonderful to me. So let us bow our head to pray so that we could preach the word of God. Father, this morning we have nothing to offer. Nothing at all, but a few loaves of bread and some fish. Lord, if you do not perform a miracle this morning, not one person here will, be, will find anything to eat. So Father, this morning we ask as we preach your word that you have a miracle done in this place. So not only we may have to eat, 
but Father, that we may have to share with those who are in need, our family, our co-workers, our friends, even our enemies, that they may come to know that our God is a true living God. In Jesus' name we pray. One thing I said in the last two services, sure. one thing, I, they need to change my battery. Thank you. Sometimes God provides you with a new job, a, a, a new promotion, a, a, a raise. Sometimes we think that God provides us with that raise so that we could buy a better car, a better home, new clothes. Sometimes God gives you that promotion or that new raise to take care of needs of somebody who's in need, to send it to mission, to give to the church, to the work of God. Not all the time that God gives us a new promotion. He gives it us so that we could lavish and live in a great, great way. But it's for us to share with those who are in need. So what I'm telling you is sometimes maybe if you don't get to go to mission, but send somebody who God sent um, to mission. Send them to mission and help the church do the work that God calls us to do with the things that we have. Amen? Amen. I'm going to preach in the book of um, Jonah. It's a wonderful book, but I'm only going to preach on one verse. Um, I'm the type of preacher who really loves to look at the crowd before I pick the sermon that I would preach. You know what? But I'm happy that Pastor Tim said he wants the church to be on the same page. So I'm, gonna have, I'm preaching the same sermon that I preached yesterday and this morning and again to you today in this live service. As great as this book is, I just want to speak on this one verse. Chapter, one, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Let me say it again. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It was New Year's Day. The University of California was playing with Georgia Tech in 1929. They were playing at the Rose Bowl. This is the biggest stage. Beside the Super Bowl, this is the biggest stage any young man who ever played, dream of playing football, would want to be beside the Super Bowl. And right, right near the end of the first half, Georgia Tech fumbles the ball. And a young man in the University of, of the University of California picked up the ball by the name of Roy Regals picked up the ball, and in trying to evade some of the players from California, uh, from, from Georgia Tech, he began running, picked up the ball, and became dysfunctional a little bit, and confused a bit and started running. He ran about 65 yards. As he was about to cross the end zone, one of his teammates tackled him one yard short of scoring uh, a touchdown, but only to find out that he picked up the ball and was running in the wrong direction. Instead of one running to score a touchdown for his team, he was running in his own goal to, to, to score a touchdown for Georgia Tech. And a few minutes later, as they were about to punt the ball, Georgia Tech blocked it and they scored a safety. And then the end of the first half. Everyone ran back to the locker room. Everyone sat on the bench waiting to hear what Coach Price is going to say. 
But Rodrigo's went in the corner, ashamed of what he has done. Understand the biggest stage beside the Super Bowl any young man would want to be. His last year in college, he wants to be maybe number one pick. But after what he did, the end of the first half, he went and sat down in the corner and put a big blanket over his head, crying, lamenting, ashamed of what he has done, asking himself, will Coach Price ever use him again? Will he ever get to play this game that he loves so much ever again? Will, will a team ever pick him to play in the NFL? Will he ever have a chance to play football again because of what he has done. He was ashamed of himself. He felt that he disgraced himself, his family, his university, his teammate, his coach. He could not face that crowd anymore. So he was crying on the corner with a big blanket over his eyes. You could identify with Roy, can't you? Can't you? Some of us here, you were a young woman, a young man. You were a part of a vibrant church. You were a part of the choir. You were a part of the worship team. You used to play music. You were in the sound room. You used to run children's church. You were on fire for God. And then you graduated high school. You went to college only to find out the pressures in college to go to parties and drink and involve in sex and succumb by the, by the pressure that you find in college. And and you begin to go out with your friend, and it was just a, a fun thing, and then it becomes going to the club every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Then you begin to drink. You begin to get in, involved in drugs. You begin to do things and falling into sexual activities that you never thought you would be a part of, and then you graduate college only to return back to your church, sitting at a corner, ashamed of yourself, and said, will God ever use me again? Crying your heart out, will God ever, ever use me again? Perhaps your husband, a husband who, who loved his wife, you were faithful to your wife. In one business trip, one day, temptation came, and you fall into sin, and the, you told your wife about it. The church found out. You used to teach Sunday school. You used to preach. You used to work in the church. Now with this scandal, you are in a corner crying your heart out, ashamed of what you have done, and asking yourself, will God ever use me again? Perhaps you are a mother. Perhaps you are a young lady, and you, because of financial difficulties, you got pregnant and decided you would have an abortion. And because of that abortion, although God has forgiven you, but you've never forgiven yourself, you find yourself five years later, ten years later, you're a Christian, but yet sitting at the corner and asking yourself, will God ever use me again? Ashamed of what you have done. Perhaps you didn't, you didn't even know God. In the first half of your life, you hated God. Perhaps because your parent died at an early age. Perhaps you went to prison for something you never did. Perhaps you went because of something you've done and you hate God. And you first, and because of that first half of your life, you decide to do anything but to follow God. And you find yourself at a corner asking yourself, can I ever worth something? Will I ever be able to be used by anybody or even by God? Well, you're not alone. Roy is not alone. Let me introduce you to a man of God, a prophet of God by the name of Jonah. 
Jonah was called by God. He was called by God to be a messenger. He was supposed to go to Nineveh. He was to take the ball when the, when the people of Nineveh fumbles the ball. He was supposed to pick up the ball and score a touchdown for God. He was to send a message to them and let them know that God will destroy them if they don't change their wicked ways, if they don't change their lives. But instead of doing that, instead of being a messenger, he decided he will be a judge. He decided these people are up to no good. They are too evil. If I teach the gospel to them, if I preach the gospel to them, perhaps they will repent and God will forgive them of what they've done. He did not want the forgiveness for them. He became a judge and started pick up the ball and ran in the wrong direction towards Spain, towards Tarshish. And on that boat, and going the other direction, he, a, a, storm, a storm came. And then when they find out it, was, it had to do with him, they dropped him in the water, and he found himself in the belly of a well. A lot of us sitting here in the belly of a well, not knowing if we're going to live. Ashamed of ourselves, knowing of what we have done, and we're asking ourselves, will God ever use Jonah anymore? Because God had many other prophets he could have used. Many of prophets that has never done anything wrong, that has always done what God has called them to do. Will God ever use Jonah again? There was a minute before the second half start. Blessed silence in the locker room. No one talked. No one said a thing. Everyone who's watching on TV think. Roy will be benched. He should never play football again after what he has done. Everyone in that arena who's watching the game think that Roy should be benched because of the scandal, because of what he has done. Everyone in the team is thinking Roy should be benched because of what he has done. Roy himself is sitting at this corner and said, I should never be used again. And then just when Coach Price walked in the room, a minute before the second half start, he looks at everybody and said, the first, the same people who started the first half are the same people who's going to play the second half. What? <laughs> Meaning Roy's going to play in the second half after what is done? Yes. The same people who started the first half will start the second half, everyone ran out except for Roy. He's still sitting at the corner. And Coach Price walks up to him and said, Roy, did you not hear what I said? I said the same people who started the first half will start the second half. Roy is still there lamenting, crying with a big blanket over his head. Then Coach Price walks up to him and put his hand over his shoulder and said, Roy, did you not hear what I said? The same people who started the first half will start the second half. Just when Roy opened his mouth and was crying with tears coming down his eyes and says, I can't do this. I've, I've, I'm ashamed of myself. I've disgraced the University of California, disgraced my parents. I'm ashamed to myself. I cannot face this crowd anymore. I don't think I could ever be able to, I will ever be able to play football again. And coach looked at him again and says, Roy, it's only the first half. We have a second half to play. What I'm saying to you this morning is that the first half of your life perhaps did not go right. Maybe you're that young lady who went to college, that young man who went to college. Maybe you're that husband. Maybe you're that wife. 
Maybe you're that person who've killed, you've done something wrong, you're an ex-con, you've done all the wrong things in your first, the first half of your life, but I'm here, come here today to let you know that God is saying to you, yes, the first half did not play well. Yes, you did not play the first half well, but God says he wants you and his team on the second half. And you're saying, God, I've messed up. God, I've done wrong. God, did you hear? If you go back to my old church or the church I'm going to, God, they will tell you, I did wrong. I did what I was not supposed to do. I, 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 it was a scandal in the church. God said, did you not hear what I said? God says, yes, I understand the first half, but I want you to be on my team for the second half. And then you're still sitting on the corner. And crying and saying, God, I can't. I've disgraced myself, my family, my church, my position at the church. And then Jesus take his pierced hand and put on your shoulder and say, son, I died for you. Daughter, I died for you so that you could play on the second half with my team again. (laughs) That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that in the belly of the well, Jonah cried out to God. Jonah cried out to God and he repented. And then the word of God says in Jonah 3 verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The, the, the book of Jonah, many of the time when we read the book of Jonah, we see it as a children's story. We teach it in children's church because it almost sounds fictional. You know, it's a children thing. It's not the book of Jonah, let me let you know, it's not about a man who was in the belly of a well. The book of Jonah is about a man who deliberately disobeyed God and went the wrong way, take the ball and ran in the wrong direction, and God gave him a second chance. That's what the book is about. It's a book that should teach, that, that should be taught in the adult church, in the adult service, because many a time we take the ball and run in the wrong direction. But what God says, the Bible says, somewhere in the first half, at the end of the first half, God says in chapter 3, the word says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God said he wants to use you this morning. God says he wants you on his team this morning. God says he died just so that you could play on his team on the second half. Tell the person next to you it's only the first half. God wants you on his team on the second half. Listen to this. Listen to this testimony. Listen to this. Many of the guys who played with Roy in the second half, they went on to play professional football. They went on to, pay, to play in the pro ball. They went on to play Super Bowl. But listen to their testimony. We have never seen a man play a second half like Roy Rigo played the second half. Let this, this, let this be your testimony today. Let those who witness what happened in your life on the first half of your Christian walk let, them be, let it be your testimony. Let it be way after you long gone in this life. Let them say, I have never witnessed Sally. I have wi- never witnessed somebody play the second half for Jesus like John, like Sally, like Robert played the second half for Jesus. They said he played with determination. He played with focus. He played like a madman. 
man, let's get back on the field. The first half has been long gone. It's the second half. Let it be our testimony. Let it be my testimony. Let it be your testimony. And let's pick up that ball. Let's run with purpose for God. Let's run with, let, let's, let's, let's be like Paul. Let, let, us not like, let us not run aimlessly. Let us run for God. Let us fight the good fight of faith. Let, every, let it be our testimony that they've never seen a person play the second half of their Christian life like you have. Let us stand. Let us stand. So you standing here, and you heard this sermon, and you say, yeah, this is my story. How did he know? How did he know that's my story? That's my story, too. Everybody in church is an ex-somebody. Maybe mine became a, maybe yours became a scandal, mine did not. But God knows. If God would project your life on the big screen here, no one would call you brother or sister. And you're saying, God, yeah, that's my first half. But Lord, I heard this word today. I want to place the second half for you. If that's you, raise your hand. At 5, 10, 20, 30, yes. Say, God, I want to play. I want to play the second half better than Roy played his second half. All right. Now this is it. I'm going to ask you to do something else. I'm going to ask you to come forward. Those of you who raised your hand and said, God, I want to play the second half. Let it be this field. Let, it be this, let this be the field where you started playing your second half for God. Don't worry about anyone who's looking because this is kingdom business. No one here can save you. No one here can get you to heaven. No one but God. God wants to do something with you. God is doing something with Pastor Tim, but he wants to do something different with you. He's doing something with Pastor Kaiser. He's doing something with Pastor James. But he wants you to have your own story. He doesn't want you to look at my life. He wants you to look at your life and say, wow. When I look at, when I, when I look at what Coach Price did, you know what I say? I say, wow, what a coach. When I look at my life and see what God is doing with me in that second half, I said, wow. And what he's going to do in your life, I say, wow, what a God. What a God we serve. A God of a second chance, of a thousand chance. A God who's willing to forgive us if we repent. Now, this is what I'm going to do. I will pray for you, but I'm asking you to pray first. I'm asking you to open your mouth and speak to your God. You know why? Because you can. Yes. You're saying, Pastor James, I haven't prayed in a long time. 
You're saying, Pastor James, I don't know what to say. You know why? Because you've been hearing the Christian lingo too long, the churchy words. But God wants you to speak to him like you speak to your husband, like you speak to your wife, like you speak to your best friend. Let God know what you're feeling right now. Speak to God like you would speak to your two-year-old daughter, to your two-year-old nephew. Speak to God like you would speak to your friend. Let him know what's in your heart and let him know what you want to do in that second half. Why don't you start doing that? Open your mouth and speak to God. If you want to do it loud, that's fine. You want to do it in your heart, that's fine. But I want you to speak to God. Oh, speak to my heart, Holy Spirit. Come on, open your mouth and speak to God. God, the first half of my life, I've messed up. I've messed up, oh God. But Lord, I'm willing to play the second half for you. I want to play better than Roy Regal's on the second half. I want to run in the right direction. Lord, here am I running to you. I'm running to you, oh God. Oh, many people here are running to you, oh Jesus. Open their mouth, open their heart, that they may know that you're the only true God. That, Father, only when they are in your plan, when they are in, their, in your will, then they can live a full life. Father, open their mouth, open their heart. Do something in their life this morning. Something that I can't ever do, you alone can. Something that any pastor cannot do, any worship leader can do, but you alone, oh God. Yes, God. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.